Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Ross has all the spring deals you want, so you can say yes to more looks for you and your budget. Tube tops for less? Yes. Dad shorts for the weekend? Yes. Mini skirts for less than online? That's a yes for you and your bank account. Find your certified yes for me moment and save 20 to 60% off department store prices every day at Ross. Hurry in for spring deals today. Items and styles vary by store. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, two young girls stab their friend to appease a modern-day internet boogeyman. We'll go back to our review of the classic HBO documentary, Beware the Slenderman. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. All right, so Kevin, this is obviously a classic rewind episode. Obviously. It's been a while. What's coming up on Monday's brand new episode of Crime Writers On? We're talking about the uh, documentary series from Peacock. It's Mm -hmm. called Where is Baby Gabriel? Okay, that should be an interesting conversation. Yeah, and the answer is it's difficult to say. Well, don't spoil it, Kevin. (laughs) I don't think a documentary would be uh, a question, you know, title. He's been here the whole time. (laughs) It would be really nice if one of these questions got answered at at one point, you know? Mm, Yeah. So tell me what we're going to hear in today's classic CWO Classic Rewind. Oh, we're going to be going back to February 3rd, 2017. Wow, that's like six years ago. Yeah, for a, a review of... Beware the Slender Man. Oh my God, the Slender Man. Yes, this was, I mean, obviously it remains a a classic in the true crime canon. And also, we were uh, divided on this, so I think it's a good discussion to go back to. All right, should we take a listen? Let's do it. So I think it's time to move on. As part of our continuing mission of telling you, should you watch, listen to, or read this, we are now going to give you our thoughts on a recent documentary that we all watched, some of us under duress, because it's getting a tremendous <laughs> uh-huh. amount of buzz. It's called Beware the Slender Man. It's available right now on HBO and on HBO Go and probably some other places, but that's how we watched it was HBO. Through illegal Russian streaming websites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I once tried to torrent something and I just could not fucking. Figure I don't know it how out. those people it's do so it. So complicated. Yeah. FBI is safe with us. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's true. You it's got true. Nothing. This documentary, Beware the Slender Man, looks at the really, really frightening 2014 stabbing attack committed by two 12-year-old girls, Anissa Wire and Morgan Geyser, against their friend and classmate in a suburban Wisconsin town. The girls confessed to committing the crime to appease the Slender Man, a fictional internet boogeyman that first came to prominence on a website called Creepy Pasta. Now, the documentary included the victim's name, but for a variety of reasons... I'm not going to in this discussion. If you guys want to, that's okay. Uh, I feel like 
I don't know. I don't I kind of don't want to. I don't know. I know it's out there, but I don't want to. So we're not going to. And also the film does focus on the families of the perpetrators. So it also seems appropriate to me for that reason. So, Toby, you described this documentary to me in an email as the flip side of Stranger Things. Can you explain why you said that? Yeah, well, I think it, it has, you know, the kids are in, you know, in their minds in the same situation that the kids in Stranger Things are in that there's sort of secretive in regards to their parents. They think they have some knowledge of a threat to themselves and their family that their parents won't get and won't believe. And they take action themselves. Yeah. Really uh, scary action. Right. So really, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to like, you know, minimize what they did, but I, I think it struck me and I, and I assume we're going to talk about this in a minute that with all the different pop culture things that come up, that this idea that that happens again and again and again in movies, kids are often in the know about things that parents aren't. Right. And the way that things turn out okay is for the kids to take action. E.T.'s like that. Mm. Stranger Things is like that. I mean, you can go on and on, I think. And I don't know if, if these girls were thinking about that stuff, but that is kind of a trope in It's a in trope movies. in our culture. Yeah, I think yeah. so That's too. That's a really good point, Toby. It yeah. is. I mean, it's something that we've talked about before that teenagers and you know we and you know in the in the crimes we've reported on where teenagers committed the crimes very often their largest motivator is mom and dad not finding out what they're up to like that's a huge motivator for young people you always say like why didn't jay go to the police you know <laughs> well because like kids don't want to get in trouble like that is a huge top of mind right and, and in horror fiction whether it's Dracula or it's Friday the 13th is those people are, are the victim group mm -hmm. are always separated from the authorities right. or from the rest of the world. They In either won't way. believe them. They're on their own. Right. Right. It is up to them to try to prevail. And in this real life case, that's kind of how they felt. And it's also sort of part of the legend of Slenderman and the way he has captured the imagination of this generation largely through the internet is, is sort of the way these stories are passed and the ways legend grows. Now, Laura, I, I just want to get back to the real life crime for a second because, mm -hmm. you know, all four of us have kids in the range of age of the kids who committed this crime or mm -hmm. have recently had kids in that range of age. All four of us have kids who love technology and it's a big mm -hmm. part of their lives. And when this case happened, on a scale to one to 10, how much did it freak you out? It totally freaks me out because it's young. When you see young kids doing things so violent and that it's tied to this basically internet urban legend, and I'm one of those parents. I don't know about you. I am like on my child's ass about the Internet. I mean, he is on the Internet a lot, but I check everything he goes on. I look at everything. But yet after I watched this this week, we're having dinner and I'm like, oh, well, have you ever heard about the Slender Man? And he's like, oh, that's probably from Creepypasta. And I'm like, how the fuck do you know about Creepypasta? Right. You know, I said it in a little bit kinder terms. He's like, oh, my friend likes that site. And I'm yeah. like. These are fourth graders who know about this site. I mean, oh, yeah. it's it's terrifying to me. How old, Absolutely what grade terrifying. Were the girls in, like well, six? they were twelve. Yeah, so they must have yeah. been like in twelve. Grade. So they're probably in fifth or sixth grade. It's it's something that if you know about the internet and you're a kid, you know about it. My kids have known about it. Do you remember my younger son, who's fourteen now? When he was nine and ten, he would have nightmares about Slenderman. Remember, he used mm -hmm. to draw pictures oh. of him and nightmares about him. It's just sort of out oh, really? there. But what's oh. interesting to me about Slenderman, the myth, is that Slenderman looks 
very much like the scary mythological creature in like every story ever. The tall, skinny, disproportionate, long-armed, long-legged creature Mm -hmm. looks like the aliens in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It looks like the evil guy in that Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, Hush. Mm -hmm. Those like scary, suited, quiet, you know, mute guys that were floating around. Looks like every Tim Burton creature Mm -hmm. in every like Tim Burton movie. That imagery is not new. It sort of touches something I think that's very, very base and it's kind of a Pied Piper story, right, Toby? Yeah. You know, at one point, one of the experts, I can't remember who it was, says depending on who's doing the telling and who's doing the listening, that it can take a bunch of different forms. But one of the things that clearly shows up in a lot of the art and I would assume some of, a lot of the stories is that he's actually friendly to children. You know, the Pied Piper thing is a guy who's, who's friendly to children, but for a, a kind of sinister reason. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't quite getting that. The whole Pied Piper thing, I, I wasn't quite sure if that worked that well. In the movie, because it didn't seem like that analogous to Slender Man. I mean, I, I was, you could see that there was, I guess, some similarities, but I, I just didn't see why that particular fairy tale they thought fit the Slender Man story. They used it, and then you tried as a viewer to fit Slender Man within that frame. You know, if you go in the other direction, I, I don't know if it's that effective. I don't think, and this is just my take on it, I don't think that the comparison is supposed to be that the fictional character Slender Man is like the fictional character, the Pied Piper. I think that the moral of the story about the Pied Piper being, sorry, adults, but there's something that can lure your children away from you is what the comparison is that the real life, that the legend of Slender Man itself is that. Not that he is able to do something that makes kids want to follow them in the woods. It's more or less Slender Man is there capturing the imagination of certain kids. We're figuratively losing them. I'm going to lay my cards on the table here because I really want to shift gears in our discussion of this case and of the documentary. One of my huge problems with this documentary, even though I enjoyed it, even though I was creeped out by it, there were parts of it I thought were very strong. I actually have a real problem with these morality plays about technology and the internet and video games and rock music and heavy metal and the cultural influences that make kids do bad things, right? Because later in the movie, and we'll talk about this in a minute, we get some pretty strong reveals about the real reasons why these girls did this thing that whatever their influence was maybe doesn't matter, maybe. So that being said... I think the movie was a little heavy handed in the legend stuff and in the computer stuff and in the my kid was alone with his iPad stuff. Because let's face it, all of our kids are alone with their iPads all Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. And I have issues with my son and his, you know, computer and his gaming thinking like Jesus, like his room is like never going to get clean and his homework isn't going to get done. We are not most of us dealing with a situation where our kids are going to stab their friends. This is a different in very specific situation that I think gets revealed later in this film. But one of the things that really sets the film apart, which is very different, and Laura, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on this, was that, you know, the sources for the film were the parents of the perpetrators. They were the main characters in this film. And we saw very much 
the portraits of family members of kids who had committed this horrible crime. What did Mm -hmm. you think of that angle and what did you think of these families? You know, I have to say I was kind of surprised when I first started watching this that the family members had chosen to take part when this case hadn't even gone to trial yet. Mm -hmm. And that they were doing these interviews while they're still having court proceedings deciding if these children are going to be tried as children or adults. But, you know, as I'm watching, I'm like, this is definitely, and I don't want to give a spoiler for something else we're going to talk about, but it was really giving a window into parents of children that end up having pretty serious mental health issues and mental illnesses. I felt like... You know, they could have been any parent. They they had no idea what was actually going on with their kids. They were like, well, they were marching to their own drum, one of the girls, but no real sign that it was anything worse than that. But the thing that I did think about this, though, was that it was definitely told from the point of view of the parents. And I kept finding myself thinking, where's the victim in this case? Right. Why aren't we hearing anything about the victim? It was really kind of a black hole with regard to the victim. We heard in the beginning who she was. Mm-hmm. We heard in the end that she was okay. So I kind of wondered if this like super access they had to the families really sort of precluded them from maybe doing other interviews or looking at other angles that they might have done had they not had these families like kind of handed to them in the way that it seemed like they were. I'm sure that if the victim's family wanted to participate, they would have. I mean, these guys ended up hooking up with PhDs of every sort of ilk Mm -hmm. all over the world via Skype. I can't imagine that they decided, well, we're not going to go ask the victim's family if they want to participate, too. It would just make this documentary way too good. Laura, do you have the feeling that maybe the perpetrator's family has participated because they thought maybe it would help their daughters not be tried as adults in this case if, if they got a sympathetic portrait out there? Yeah, I mean, it seems like these kids, you know, essentially confessed to the crime. So at this point, really, their only defense is that their mental state. And I feel like that the family really, both families were relying on that pretty heavily in the way that they were portraying what led up to this and what happened. So if you're a parent and your child is in the situation, I can't say I would do the same thing. Right. Well, you know, if I was in a position where I was advising them and they were in that situation, I'd be like, by all means, get a documentary made because all these podcasts and documentaries and stuff, they get so many people on the side of the protagonists and they put pressure. I mean, just think about making a murderer. It suddenly goes from this case that you might have like seen a little something about in the news to you've got people signing petitions. There's all this pressure. And so I think as a strategy to gain sympathy, and I'm not saying that pejoratively, but I think it's legitimate for the parents to think that this is a way that they can get some public sympathy for what is otherwise something in which they would normally, public opinion would obviously be against them. And I think that's the same reason why the victim's family probably did not want to cooperate. Is like by humanizing mm-hmm. the families and to a large extent also the perpetrators, you're bringing sympathy in their corner for people who did something, nearly killed your daughter. So I, I can see why they wouldn't want to be involved. But if, if I was in that situation, I was given the opportunity to make my case to a mass public audience that has shown itself to be compassionate and sympathetic to the protagonists in these kinds of documentaries. I would just leap at the chance, even though it, it, it brings out a lot of tough stuff about those families, too. I think this documentary is really sort of in two parts. And I think the first hour is laying the groundwork for 
the Slender Man myth. Right. And uh, sort of the basic facts of the crime and the reasons why your average kid could get sucked into yeah, the, which I have a, I don't agree with at all. Right, I, I think they were trying to convince us that of that. Well, I think when they're talking about the legend and stuff like that, I think you're in your mind you're thinking, okay, this is this the the reason why these girls went down this rabbit hole, and it isn't until halfway through when they get the court hearings, and we're getting the psychological analysis that the documentarians are turning over the cards. Right. Which shows one girl has a personality disorder and another girl has a severe mental illness at a very young age. And they both have become fixated on Slender Man. And at least one of them, well, I think they probably both really believe, but, you know, to an extent that isn't just sort of unhealthy. And it is really delusional. Right. Here's why I call bullshit on the Slender Man stuff. And I, I know that is part of these very, very graphic confessions. We will talk about the legal stuff around this case in just a minute, I promise. Because this is what the girls said, th- the reason why they did it was, right? Because they watched these videos and they were friends with this guy. And that's what they said. But we have seen this again and again and again, where a pop culture thing is blamed for animal ritual sacrifice, right? Heavy heavy metal music became sort of like the thing that was pointed to in the 1990s as the reason why there was all this teen violence, right? Mm-hmm. Violent video games is the reason why it's all pointed to that the school shootings happen, which by the way, the research does not bear out. The research on video games right now from the like most cutting edge researchers are that with the very exception of a very few games, one of them being Grand Theft Auto, most games are team-oriented, pro-social, even if the imagery is violent and not necessarily harmful if you have a healthy mentality. Right. And this goes back with. to comic books and exactly. black and white movies and everything like that. Look the at magic those shootings bullet in theory. Connecticut. That, you know, Adam Lanza. What, did, right. he, did he commit those shootings because he was playing video games all day or because he was severely mentally ill, right? So this is why I feel like... The documentary framing this thing around Slenderman, yes, it's the thing that happened in the case that was an interesting Slender thing. Slenderman caught- is, is not going to take an average kid and turn him into a killer. Right. However, if there is a person who has a severe problem and is prone to violence, they may attach mm-hmm. themselves to something like Slenderman. It could be anything. But if not Slenderman, then something else. It could be the Stephen King books in your backpack. Right. It could be Minecraft. It could be anything. And I I think that's kind of where I had some issues with it because I, like Laura, I found these families, they were very sympathetic to me. Like I I really felt for them. They showed a lot of what they were going through personally. We saw a lot of their personal lives. The dad was divorced, you know, by the way, Laura, too many cats in this thing. Way too many cats. I have to tell you, I was like, every time (laughs) we're looking at this dad, he's getting ready in the bathroom. There's the cat. He's helping the brother get ready for scouts. There's the cat. I'm like, oh, cats. (laughs) So many. Somebody wrote to us and said, how much B-roll of cats is there in this? It's like like the drone footage in uh, (laughs) Making a Murderer. (laughs) It took me a while to figure out it was two cats, actually, too. I think both families had cats, right? Or was it just the one family that had the cats? Just on a storytelling point, one of the things I thought was like particularly bullshit about the whole thing was that at different times they tease little bits of it. So they talk early on about how Morgan, like until she was 11, believed in Santa Claus. Right. And that just left to sit there. 
And then they talk to a woman about how small their like social bubble was, Mm -hmm. you know, and that if there'd been, you know, a group of 12 people, the same sort of like focused reinforcing wouldn't have been the same as with the two and that probably the, the whole thing would not have happened. So then that's put forward as part of their mental processes. And to me, that's just bullshit because they know the whole time right. about mm-hmm. about the schizophrenia. And so I thought just from a storytelling standpoint that that was not respectful of the audience. And I, and I think a responsible editor would have gone back and said, you know, it's one thing to hold off on. And I, and I, I still have a big problem with that. And maybe we'll talk about that later the whole mental health issues, but it's completely ridiculous to act like it's a different mental health right. issue right. and mm-hmm. then change it later. I found that difficult. I actually I completely it, agree yeah. with you. It's it's not only disrespectful to the audience, it's actually bad for the cause of mental illness. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we have here a family and it's not, I don't think spoiling a documentary because you could look up the case and it's in all the articles, but Morgan's father was a schizophrenic. Morgan showed mm-hmm. symptoms of schizophrenia as a young child and her parents talk about it, but the documentary frames it like, we didn't know. We just thought maybe she mm-hmm. was, I have doubts. Maybe I'll be the contrarian in this. You, you know, this is kind of what we thought was fascinating about serial season two. Bo Bergdahl also has a, a schizotype. He was diagnosed after he was recovered from his being. He was not diagnosed. Like, we didn't know about no, this the whole well, time. They didn't know about it until after the arrest. And the interviews start at the very latest two months after the stabbing, which is what we hear. So if it just came out of the blue halfway through that they had mental illnesses, that would seem like, you know, deus es machia. And if you know from the very beginning, you know, from the first five minutes in that they have mental illnesses, there's no there's no story arc. So I see like, you know, here are all the signs, because when someone finally tells them this is what the diagnosis of your daughter, everything else clicks into place for them because. All of those pieces suddenly come together and mean something in real life. But I think when they were putting the film together at the end, Mm -hmm. they knew, Mm -hmm. right? And this also wasn't put together as let's watch everything as it happened in real time. They discovered this and they discovered this and then they discovered this. Right. You know, they're bouncing all over the place. And I think even if they had cut that stuff without having an official diagnosis of schizophrenia, when you go back... You're like, why Why even leave this in? Right. Because it's deceptive to people because it sounds like, well, you know, there's like these little signs, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they must have known something. They must have known that it wasn't that she believed in Santa until she was 11. A lot of kids you know, they, believe they, in Santa They're living they're with 11. this schizophrenic person in the yeah. father. Yeah, exactly. You know? That, 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 uh, was, the, that was the part to I, me and that And I don't believe cheap. that that other father would have worn that Superman T-shirt on two separate days. <laughs> that had to be the same day. All right, so I really do want to talk about Let's move on from sort of the Slenderman mythology, maybe bullshit, and the mental illness stuff. Let's talk about the legal stuff, shall we? Okay. Hey, Laura, what the fuck with Wisconsin and uh, interviewing kids without an adult present? This, to me, is the real story they should have focused on more in this documentary. I agree. Um, You have 12-year-old girls suffering from severe mental illnesses They don't have attorneys present while they're being interviewed by the police. And so this made me enraged because I felt a lot of sympathy for these kids because obviously this is a horrible thing that happened. And as a parent, I see this and I'm like, oh, my God, this is horrific. But then at the same time, that sort of defense side of me steps in and says, 
who the fuck was looking out for these kids? Like, this is awful when you're watching these interviews of them being interviewed. So I, I put out some queries to some of my defense friends as we had done, because we've talked about this before when we talked about Brandon Dassey, because this is same thing and same state. And, it, and it's not just Wisconsin. It's, it's all states. So, you know, when I was a defense investor, I'm just going to say our internal protocols was if I was going to go interview anybody that was under 16, I had to make contact with their parent, make sure it was okay, get permission. Sometimes the parents sat in, but that was just us being overly cautious. So in criminal cases, you know, my defense friends tell me, Children have no right to have a parent's present. It's true. Um, and they can request an attorney, just like adults, but, you know, that's not going to sway it one way or other. You know, the real issue is whether or not the statement that they make to police is voluntary or coerced. Right. Um, and certain states can impose stricter regulations. So in Wisconsin, there is one case that people point to as sort of like the standard for authorities in Wisconsin interviewing juveniles. State versus Gerald. And it stems from three young men who robbed a McDonald's in Milwaukee back in 2001. And one of them was 14 and he was interviewed by the police. He claims he asked to call his parents and he was not allowed to. And he appealed his case based on the, you know, assertion that he should have been allowed to call his parents. He was 14 and all this. But the court upheld what happened in this case, you know, basically saying that courts do need to use great care when they are talking to juveniles and assessing whether their confession was voluntary, but that it's still okay for police basically to talk to kids without parents. Wow, you are the smartest pole dancer I know. (laughs) Well, this makes me enraged. But this is what I'm going to say about this case, because I am like on like a tirade about this. How can two 12-year-old girls, one schizophrenic and one with delusional disorder, give voluntary permission to be interviewed by the police? Right. It wasn't in the documentary, but do we know if the lawyers have made any hay with trying to get those interviews thrown out? I don't know. I don't know. I I will say, to the defense of the police, if they're allowed to do it, which obviously they are, I thought both interviewers were fine. I thought yeah. they were both behaving in a way that didn't make It wasn't like Dassey. Like, it no. wasn't like Dassey. No. They were sitting and listening, and those girls were just talking and, talk- and answering every question in a way that just made me, God, it was so chilling. And it, it, it does inform. I, I feel like when I, when I say I have problems with the whole use of Slenderman as a real boogeyman in this movie, we didn't need... All that parental griping about iPads. All we need to do is hear those confessions. They were so chilling. Yeah, but I think the average mm-hmm. viewer would, in the back of the mind, they're like, well, where are the parents? And I think that they yeah. gave them the, the, the platform to at least try to answer that. No, we were watching the whole time. We right. knew what they were doing. Right, right. Yeah. And then you find out later that I say, of out. course you were. All parents are doing the best that they can do. And yeah. if your kid is has severe mental illness and can hide it from you, you monitoring their iPad yeah. use is not going to help them with that mm-hmm. situation. Right. I thought it was interesting to find out that Anissa, by the way, has the same disorder as Bo Bergdahl. Did you find that I interesting? That, mm-hmm. I actually made a note of that because I was like, isn't that the same thing? It is. Same thing. Ooh. Delusions. Yeah. She was compelled to act based on something that wasn't real. And the way that the psychiatrist described it in court sounded exactly like the psychiatrist description of Bo Bergdahl, which I thought was very interesting. Um, So I just want to ask like a couple of final questions here. You know, one of the things that we saw was the experience of a parent with a child in prison and Anissa making those phone calls to home and the parents having to go visit and go to court. Total nightmare, right, Toby? Yes. I think both sets, like A, even if you're like a smoothly functioning 
family unit. One of your kids is in prison. That's a nightmare. And then I think both these families, you know, on one end watching this guy who at least appears to basically be raising the kids by himself and he's trying to maintain sort of a normal lifestyle for his other kids and making sure that his one kid being in prison isn't, you know, ruining their lives too. You know, it's heartbreaking to watch it. And there is a moment where he had kind of a problem with lingering on him with the camera while he's like fighting back tears for as long as they did. But it clearly is is highly, highly stressful. Yeah. And then the other family where you have this woman again who the other two members of her family are schizophrenic and the father learned how to deal with this. It's just it's really crushing in both circumstances, but for very different reasons. It is. And for me, I would say it's, I, I was very conflicted watching it. The Slenderman stuff itself, when I say this documentary freaked me out, I was freaked out to watch it. The myth itself, the imagery is scary. And the way that myths get spread now is so much more compelling than when we were kids, because now you can make videos that show that the thing is real. Yeah, and all that imagery was not made by the documentarians. It's made by the, the users. fans. The users, yeah. It photographs. Uh, Including the very last shot of the documentary, which was some fan artist rendering of the two girls with Slenderman. Yeah. As if yeah. they are the patriot saints of the Slenderman. Somebody Man. put that on the internet, yeah. Yeah, it kind of brought it to me like, here they are, and they're drawn in and ruined by the legend, and now they are part of the canon of Slenderman. Yeah, which is sad on about 100 levels. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Ross has all the spring deals you want, so you can say yes to more looks for you and your budget. Two tops for less? Yes. Dad shorts for the weekend? Yes. Mini skirts for less than online? That's a yes for you and your bank account. Find your certified yes for me moment and save 20 to 60% off department store prices every day at Ross. Hurry in for spring deals today. Items and styles vary by store. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Wow, what a great discussion. That was super interesting. And we've gotten so much better since then. We sound like babies. <laughs> Not that bad. We sound so bad. young. We, so we, we still wicked smart. But. I was in my early 40s back then. Oh, but <laughs> 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 All right, should we wrap it up, Kevin? Yeah, yeah. Just a reminder, uh, tune in on Monday. We've got a new episode of Crime Writers On. And uh, that is uh, Where's Baby Gabriel? Yep. And then a week from today, we have a new classic rewind. You know, want to know which one it is? What is it? What is it? Missing Richard Simmons. Oh, my goodness. Is that a great one what to do? What a classic. Yeah. What a classic. 
All right, well, this show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where, try as I might, I can't convince Kevin to go on a long walk in the dark forest with me. Not gonna do it! To be fair, I can't convince you to go on a walk with me anytime. That's why! <laughs> on behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Ross has all the spring deals you want, so you can say yes to more looks for you and your budget. Two tops for less? Yes. Dad shorts for the weekend? Yes. Mini skirts for less than online? That's a yes for you and your bank account. Find your certified yes for me moment and save 20 to 60% off department store prices every day at Ross. Hurry in for spring deals today. Items and styles vary by store.